Yeah, I don't know if... Well, I'm on my phone, so I won't really see it. <clears throat> I don't have it on my phone at all. Well, if everyone starts cutting you off, Anthony, like, you know. <laughs> okay. Just, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to an extra lovey-dovey episode of Semi-Bookish. I don't have a very enchanting voice, I'm sure, but I'm giving you my sauciest romantic voice that I can muster. <laughs> Very saucy, Andy. Right? Right, thank you. If you haven't guessed already today by that little introduction, today's episode is going to be about romance, specifically the romance stories, romance books, the genre of romance. And we have uh, a resident expert, adult services librarian, aka the doctor of love. <laughs> no, I don't like that. <laughs> You pick up your phone, just send her the message already. Um, but you provided a really wonderful article to us, but I think you should be the one to define romance. A romance novel has basically one major factor that separates it from a romantic novel or a love story in my book in that it has a happy ending. It is either a happily ever after, or at least a happy for now. But if it ends in tragedy, it ain't a romance novel. What is it then? It's just a love story. Anything else. <laughs> it, it surely can be romantic. Like I'm not denying yeah. that there are not elements of romance to it, yeah. but I think a romance novel as like a staple of the genre ends happily. Okay. Just like a Shakespeare comedy always ends in a marriage and a Shakespeare tragedy always ends in a death, a romance novel always ends with a happy ending. And to piggyback on what you were saying about that, uh, it also seems that, because there's maybe someone out there who's going to listen, but I know a lot of books that are ha that have happy endings and it, there's they're not romance. Because um, the article you provided also asserted that love has to have a, love lost the like has to have yeah. a has to yeah, be the central plot. plot of the story, yes. Oh, my goodness. And by the way, Aaron, did you grab a smack ticket? No, you want me to go grab one? In a minute or two, or whenever you feel so inclined. But I, I thought that would be good for this episode. Well, every episode. At some point, I'll Probably just, like, yes. angrily leave the room, and then I'll come back with a smack. We'll provoke you somehow. Right. I'll take <laughs> Okay. Let's get it out of the way really quick. What is everyone reading? Crickets, crickets. I, I'm not crickets. reading anything right now, actually. I, okay, I didn't want to be just to keep talking, but since nobody else is leaping on this, I heard the suggestion of Anthony and our Facebook book club. I'm still oh, yeah. Elantris by Brandon Sanderson. Ooh, okay. Good. Are you liking it? So far, yeah. Like, I feel like. I like the plot line. I do want to keep going. For some reason, it's just one where like it didn't hook me immediately, immediately at the beginning. But I like enough of what's happening that I am going to keep going and finish it up. I think I only have like 100 pages left anyway. So at this point, may as well. Oh, the avalanche is about to begin. Get ready. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you mean that literally or not, given how this book works. <laughs> That's kind of interesting you say that it didn't hook you right away because I told Anthony, I'm like five pages. I'm like, oh, my God, this has me. Like, like, I was interested, but I wasn't, like, 
deeply invested, like ride or die, ready to go. Yeah. Okay, somebody else go. All right, so now I remember what I was reading because, you know, I had to think about it for a minute because I was like, wait, what? Uh, what so, were you reading, Aaron? <laughs> so uh, what, I was upstairs in these services, and so this is context to why I'm reading what I'm reading. Uh, and the thing with you services is you don't leave me alone up there because I will find something to take home with me. And uh, <laughs> we have a copy of Kiki's delivery service upstairs in the tween zone. And oh. I lost my mind because I do that was this. my childhood movie. And so I immediately took it home. So now I'm reading Kiki's delivery service. So there's that. Isn't it so good? I love that movie so much so like when i started reading that book i was like this is so much nostalgia i love it you know like yeah moving castle after you watch the movie yeah i have to tell you i am personally responsible for your joy because i made certain that we purchased that book yes not all heroes wear capes Except this one, because I'm gay. <laughs> Zing. Anthony, what are you reading? Um, okay, so I just started reading this, well, listening to this book called The Blade Between by Sam J. Miller. It's this really bizarre, horror-adjacent novel it feels like nathaniel hawthorne and edgar Allan poe became hmm. a super gay man in 2021 and decided to publish a novel together and it's fantastic well if that's a description it's so juicy and good and weird um yeah i love it anyway so there's that and then i'm also still reading this uh, Blade. literary criticism book called The Fantastic Tradition uh, in American Literature, which is really good. It's just really dense. So, you know. Perfect. <laughs> Lord Ish. Um, I'm I'm still uh, plugging away at the final Dune book. Um, probably in the next few days I'll, I'll be done, and I promise that's the last I'll mention Dune in the episode, so... <laughs> Take a shot. Um, yeah, I guess yeah, that's what I'm reading. Um, and I'm trying to figure out what to read next. I don't know if I'm going to try to commit to another series or just kind of read some standalone things. Um, I want to I want to read the uh, Wheel of Time series eventually. Um, but we shall see. So, yes, that's what I'm doing. If you jump from Dune to Wheel of Time, you are, I don't know what to think of you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, because Dune was like the, like one of the big sci-fi series that I had never read. And then Wheel of Time is one of the big fantasy series that I've never read. Um, And then, yeah, I was, Andy actually recommended, um, uh, what is it called? Kuthiel's Dart, um, which sounds pretty oh, interesting. Yeah. It's like part of a trilogy, and I actually found a copy at a resale store a few days later. So that's always that's an option as well. So oh, cool. yeah, we'll see. 
yeah, I've heard good things about that series. Mm. And I, it's, I would label it as um, soft erotica just a little bit. Oh, yeah. Mm. Which I picked it up as a teen, like an older teen. So, like, it was pretty steamy um, for my older teen. Um, Were you mentally prepared for it? Oh, no. No. Um, <laughs> but yes, yes, it was it was a world expanding. Um, no, it wasn't that bad. It was it was pretty delightful. Wait, what? Aaron and I just had like two separate mental breakdowns hearing all of that happen. And it's a real shame you guys couldn't watch it happen. We just astral projected out of this room. <laughs> so what are you reading right now, Andy? Right. Actually, right now, I am reading the graphic novel adaptation of um, Metamorphosis uh, by Franz Kafka. English uh, or German? The English. It's what we had on the shelf uh, at Adrian Fair. Library. Um, and I literally, last night when I was driving home, I finished listening to, um, God, what is his name already? Uh, Queen's Gambit. Anthony, you know his name right off. Oh, by Walter Tevis. Thank you. And I really enjoyed it. I mean, it wasn't unfamiliar territory because I have been kind of eyeing the show a little bit when someone else is watching it. And it, <laughs> the, the sentences are really beautiful. Like it, I, I like the way it was written. And the story itself was engaging enough that I kept plugging away. I didn't really stop or deviate from it too much. I even tried at one point to get a copy of the book just so I could read it when the middle of the night and that I don't have the noise going. Um, yeah. But pretty good, pretty good. That's what I just finished. And then, you know, the metamorphosis, which it's, it's fun, especially seeing it in a graphic novel format. Okay. Ooh. Now, Let's carry this little this habit around. Let's go around and talk. I, I think it'd be kind of fun. Favorite or best example you have read of a romance story, romance book. I'm gonna need you that's a little too rough. <laughs> <laughs> we all knew that that was coming. <laughs> Say that again? Given that like 96% of what I read is some kind of romance or romantic story, I'm maybe not gonna be able to narrow that one down too well. That seems a little low for you. I do occasionally read other things. <laughs> okay, how about you, then, if you were to give a book to someone to turn them on to the romance genre, what book would you give someone? It's still, I need, do you want historical? Do you want contemporary? Do you want it to be gay? Like I will need right. a little bit to work with here. Okay, we don't know each other especially well, but like, I mean, we know each other for a year now, but I, I feel like some of my deeper, darker secrets and weirder tastes are hidden from everyone still. But if you, what base do you know of me? What would you give me to turn me into a romance fan. Describe us some romance. I feel like I already tried because I did get you to read Red, White, and Royal Blue. So, I mean, there, yeah. there was some success there. And it, it was quite wonderful. But also, isn't erotica a branch of romance? Yeah, I would call that like a subgenre. Yeah. So, Andy, you're already a romance fan. <laughs> <laughs> 
I deny. This is the moment where I get to stand on my genre soapbox and <laughs> I'm just going to underscore the B word there without actually saying it. I'm going to like soapbox here for a minute. Perfect. Go for it. Okay. All right. Every genre has its categories. Every genre is enormous, but erotica readers who do not identify as romance readers are like magical realism readers who say they don't read fantasy. Ouch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah, like That's for realism. Two different things, Anthony. There's a not. column out there. It's like saying like, it's like historical fiction readers being like, well, yeah, historical romance readers are not reading his, histor- historical fiction. It's like, yes, they are. It's just also got romance. Like, no, and I think especially like so much of the historical romance I've read recently has footnotes and stuff like in the back, in the end notes, I've like explaining that. the sources that they have gone to to do the homework for writing this book. I'm sorry that just because two people fall in love is the A plot line, you don't find that as respectable as like somebody getting blown up in the war. But I find like I appreciate that so much too, like processing all the books that like have like historical romance in them and finding all the sources in the back and I'm like this is fantastic I can look at this stuff and get actual historical context I love it yes and I think also some of that too is like as far as I'm aware that's a little bit more of a recent development at least publishing the sources that you use I'm not saying no historical romance writer has ever done homework before Mm -hmm. 2015 but I do think that a lot of people who have like the sort of predisposition against romance novels Picture a bodice ripper cover with Fabio holding some half naked yes. lady whose corset is open on the front. <laughs> like every $5 book that yeah. you find on the wall. And that definitely, out. like, probably has some anachronisms in it. And people think that that's the whole genre itself. But really, right. there's been a lot of historical romance recently where people are reclaiming the narrative. There, so many are about like suffragettes nowadays, like yeah. women fighting for the vote respecting that throughout the whole story. And usually the men end up coming around like, wow, maybe we should let women have the vote the whole time. It's great. It's such a fantasy and I love it. Yes. You know, it kind of broadens broadens into the idea that maybe romance is more encompassing. Like Grant referenced Kushiel's Dark. Um, It's a, I jokingly call it soft erotica, but it definitely has a happy ending. And uh, love is fairly, like, I mean, there are a couple little, I don't think there's, like, one really, I, I had to go back and read it. It was, like, 20 years, 15, oh, 20 to 25 years. <laughs> <sighs> but I feel like there's a, more than a few plots going on. So, like, to say what the central plot is, is it the love story between uh, the main character, Phaedre, or... Um, it's because you could maybe that like when does when does that romance bleed into say fantasy or science fiction and does that make a book more romance than it is now that niche fantasy or i mean paranormal romance is a real thing oh it's huge yeah and like okay And also, like, romance novels can do and should have plenty of background, like, 
family and friendship or like let's solve this crime kind of plots we like, need a b plot over yeah, here like again especially and i would say how is it marketed too like yes the crime can come up but like does all of the copy talk very heavily about how like person a and person b have to work together and overcome their differences and maybe stop hating each other wait have we ever really hated each other and oh we're gonna solve this, this murder like in the, the meantime Bechdel test but for romance yes yeah i mean like this is like a cornerstone of genre period like science fiction for example sets itself up in a very distinct and separate way from fantasy which sets itself up in a distinct and separate way from romance which sets itself up i mean it's like they all have completely different goals in mind which is why the romance novel must end happily because if it doesn't it's missed about a hundred other beats along the way or it's lied to you from the very beginning because the whole there are certain like points that every romance novel has to hit and the happily ever after is like that pinnacle point and if it doesn't do that then it's been telling you hey i'm a romance novel but then it pulls a nicholas sparks at the end and kills everybody with some mysterious cancer and gets like (laughs) (laughs) suddenly something our martin novel right or it's like or it's like the fantasy novel that gives you everything that you want and then at the end the character wakes up and says oh i'm sorry i was dreaming like no yeah so anyway sorry to rant again oh no i'm continue i think you and i are just going to be doing this the entire episode so <laughs> maybe i should have made popcorn <laughs> You know, something kind of like, as an aside, a funny little thing. And I was saying this to Anthony about a week ago that he said, I'm a science fiction reader, which I do. I read science fiction, but more typically, I will go to the novel that has the broad chested barbarian warrior saving the damsel in distress while fighting like an eight headed dragon um, on the cover and just. Like I, I actually went and looked at a couple of the fantasy books I have, the Pulp Fiction kind of fantasy books I grew up reading. They're not that dissimilar from the what I like to call the um, steamy romances, the immortal sex Highlander, because it's always a bare-chested always Highlander on the cover. Um, I mean, it's not always, but I, I like to imagine it is. It's fun. But... I do appreciate the recent sort of rebranding that romance novels have gone through <laughs> with the more illustrated, fun looking covers. I like those a whole lot more than like yeah. just the generic like five dollar Walmart book like yeah. book cover that you see. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, not even necessarily in the sense of like I would be ashamed to pull out one of the Fabio covers on the bus or something like that. But, like, I feel like sometimes those just got so generic in the sense of, like, okay, we described the hero as a brunette and the heroine as a redhead. Go find our two models who match those descriptions, throw them in some semblance of an outfit from the time period, and put them on the cover. I feel like mm-hmm. some like covers are now actually trying to reflect a little more of the character of the books. Speaking of Fabio, um, the man killed a seagull with his face. 
Wait, why? <laughs> what? what? Yeah, he was uh, he was on a uh, roller coaster somewhere, and uh, a seagull hit him in the face. And there's a bunch of pictures of him with like seagull blood all over. So that, that's a fun little fact. This is the best. So here's the question: For whom was that a happy ending, Fabio or the seagull? <laughs> well, I guess if the seagull was very depressed, I mean. But I don't know. <laughs> was there someone next to him on the roller coaster? Did he maybe save someone's life by killing that seagull with his face? That's a happy ending. March 30th, yeah, 1999. I'll be back. Wait, what? That's when it happened. March 30th, 1999, Fabio gets hit by a goose while riding Apollo's chariot. Wait, a goose? A goose, a goose is even better. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> Riding Apollo's chariot, too. That's quite... That sounds like some kind of Rick Reardon. <laughs> like, that should have been in the Trials of Apollo series, is like, Apollo yeah. hits goose with own chariot. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that Grant provided uh, part of the episode description with the Fabio story right there. Yes. If that's not clickbait, I don't know what is. I have a bit of an idea to sort of further illustrate my earlier rant. (laughs) Okay. So take the story of, um, let's just pull a myth because it's easier that way, Um, of Orpheus and Eurydice, right? Yeah. And let's say, let's say you're going to write three, like, let's say, three of us are going to write different novels. One of us is going to do a science fiction novel. One of us is going to do a fantasy. One of us is going to do a romance. The science fiction adaptation of that story will set up the world of the, of the people. Um, it'll set up its cultures. It'll set up its beliefs. It'll do all of this legwork. And the story will happen, but you're really only caring about why the underworld feels different than, you know, the world that like the world of the living and all of that has to check out and make sense. And the story just kind of happens to happen alongside that. Then you have the fantasy version of that story, which would wax poetic about the beauties of the Valley and the blah, 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 whatever. And the gods would play like this huge, massive central role um, whether or not they actually make any sense is dependent upon the writer. <laughs> but but that's the, the point is that you're going to get a lot of heavy like myth and legend and folklore and poetry and all this kind of stuff. In a rom- in the romance version of that story, you'd have to change something because it's Orpheus and Eurydice. It doesn't have a happy ending. <laughs> so you'd have to like do a bit of a bait and switch, I guess. But you would focus very much on how Orpheus met Eurydice, what they feel about each other, uh, the differences between them that draw them together and that would keep them apart, the tragedy that they feel when you know Eurydice goes down into the underworld and Orpheus is left alone, and how elated he feels when Apollo makes him this magical harp that sends him down into the... Anyway, you see the point, right? <laughs> you one thing and it's that it has to be strong enough to not look back that one time dude geez come on which is 
I mean, there's room to do that, I think, if you're a skilled enough writer. No, I just want to see your take on it. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I have gotten into two-hour arguments with people who think that my version of Orpheus and Eurydice is wrong. But, you know, it's fine. Write us a one-shot. Don't listen to them. Write it for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I should do that. That'd be fun. Yay. Yes, please. I brought us a smack. So I kind of also, I'm just curious now, I kind of derailed Andy's like very original question of what romance book would you really recommend or really not recommend to try and get someone into the genre? I immediately derailed that and I'm wondering if anybody else actually had an answer that they wanted to share. I actually don't. Like, of a suggestion for Andy? No, it, I was at posing the... Because when you think like a, I feel like everyone has a standard when they think about a particular genre that they really love or that they're well-versed in, uh, they have a gold standard or a top three or something that like, hey, you want to get into this, read this. Like, um, does that make sense, Anthony? Yeah, no, it makes sense. I'm thinking about it. I mean, because it's, I mean, limited knowledge in romance. I'll, I will go forward with this. Like, it's kind of funny. I'm a little bit more deep in thought with this than I have been before. I mean, even reading that article, thank you, Jen. It was wonderful. Um, and I'm not even completely finished. I'm like near the tail end. But like redefining romance in my own mind. Um, and I'm going back in books that I've read before that have fit that category. The, the love is a central plot and there is a happy ending. So I'm like, oh, gosh, oh, gosh. Prior to that, uh, kind of new understanding, um, I, I think about like, what's a romance book? Oh, Rosie's The Rosie Project, which phenomenal, cute, plucky. I think that's a really good way to um, kind of say it as plucky, but that red, white, royal blue, um, I mean, like, I really, prior to this, I, I would have thought, like, geez, I don't really read romance. I've read some erotica for That's different so reasons. No romance. I know you want it to not be, but it really is. Like oh, yeah. I, it's, I'm, yeah. <laughs> and you go crush a can of Bud Light against my forehead and rip out some chest hair and feel really, you know. It's 930 in the morning. <laughs> So, no. <laughs> Actually, I don't have yeah. it anyway. You know I like PBR. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, no, like, it, it, it's, it was a question, I think, more for me. Like, what would you recommend? Which you did. Give me Red, White, Royal, Blue. That was phenomenal. Um, do you have one, um, Aaron? Do, like, do you have a favorite? Do you have one that you give to people? to try to infect them with a romantic bug? See, I've never really actually had to suggest a romance book to people, like more so they suggested to me, but. Was there one you really liked? I'm, I, I don't remember her name right now, so I'm looking up her uh, name. Uh, Wing, the Wings series by uh, April and Pike. Oh, okay, yeah. It was like. Oh, those are delightful. Yeah, so it basically just like, a girl who's just discovered she's basically like a changeling and she's been put on earth this whole time and she's got to like somehow navigate 
back to her home and figure out what's going on. And it's really like interesting because there is still like a B plot that's going on and it's your supernatural romance that was really popular during like, what, like 2008 to like 2011? Yeah, like the mid-aughts to early. Um, Definitely read a lot of those. Definitely read when I was a teen more so than I do now. Uh, read a lot of like Meg Cavett, like in Sarah Dredson. Oh my God, Meg Cavett. Like, I would like Sarahs are like right on the fence for me as romance novels. Those Meg are as interesting, but somehow, some way, I have two of the same exact book at my house because I didn't realize I owned it already. <laughs> Good job. Um, but I think the only thing that really like drew me in was like I had watched my mom read like all the ones with the cover with the covers of Fabio, and I'm like, <laughs> I hate this. And so, like, from then on in, whenever I grabbed a romance book, I refused to have a person on the cover. So all the covers that I have are ones with really good photography on the front or, like, graphic design. I support it. And those are the only romance novels that I read because I just can't look at the Fabio cover. They are admittedly very good. <laughs> oh, I have a particular fondness for those covers, I have to say. Like, I know I should just give one a shot because also, especially, like plenty of novels that I've read that have been re-released with newer covers definitely had like that old style cover to begin with. So like, I know Bridget. the content is probably just fine, but I sometimes just looking at the cover, I'm like, Ooh, well, the thing Ooh. is I accidentally read over her shoulder once and it's just like all smut. And I'm like sitting there just going, absolutely not. And I'm like 12. So like my brain just went, absolutely not. I don't want to read this. And so I read everything else that was not that. That's fair. Hmm. Lord Ish, you, other than Dune, <laughs> we'll get to take a shot, Aaron. I didn't. I <laughs> the argument could be made that God Emperor of Dune is a love story, but it's not a romance novel because it doesn't end happily. So that's that's if all I I'll say. I out of the room. I would have stormed out of the room right then. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, let make the argument. Give us like a you know elevator pitch. Let's hear it. For, for God Emperor. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it, God Emperor is many things, um, but part of the story has to do with uh, how Leto too, who is now a half man, half worn symbiote. Um, the Ixians, which is like who are like a uh, like a fringe society in the Imperium, they create um, like a perfect being for him called um, I think her name is Hui Nori or something. But uh, anyways, and so Leto too has perfect vision of the future, and he knows that he knows for a fact that the, the Ixians created this person specifically to destroy him, but. He, I don't know. He, I'm trying to remember. He feels like, uh, I don't know. He, he finds a special connection with this person for uh, whatever reason. And uh, I don't know. Um, it doesn't doesn't end well for all parties involved. I'll, I'll, I'll say that much. But um, and I did I did see an interview with uh, uh, what's his son's name? I think it's Brian Herbert. Brian, yeah. Um, he Ryan Herbert, yeah, um, and somebody asked him about about God Emperor, and uh, he said that while his father was writing it, he he told him that he was writing a love story such as such as has never been written before, 
And it is it is a very interesting um, kind of take on that. Like, I never I, I didn't think going in that I would read the sentence uh, or the phrase um, worm and white, you know, but here we are. So, um, yeah. Um, and because I'll never be able to bring this up on any other episode, probably, um, who's familiar with Chuck Tingle? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I would, uh, I, I would never forgive myself if I didn't bring him up in this uh, episode. No, I think we are legally obligated. Yes. But, uh, I think he definitely <laughs> fall under the, uh, supernatural erotica blanket, perhaps. Yep, that sounds probably about the closest to a genre that I've seen. Those are some book covers, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know who this was, and I looked up the book covers, and there we go. You're welcome. He's a uh, he's a fascinating fellow. (sighs) If uh, if you're not familiar with him, he's a writer of gay erotica, but um, that's right. But the subjects are what really makes yeah. uh, uh, his writings, in, uh, you know, interesting. Such as, uh, oh, anything from anything from dinosaurs to Bigfoot to abstract concepts. Yes, you know, it's uh, it's, it's kind of hard to define. Yeah, I feel the need to break in here and say I've never actually read one of his books. I just have seen many of the covers, and I'm just they all sound at interesting. This title. <laughs> oh, I love that. And has him listed as Dr. Chuck Tingle. Ah, uh, yes, doctor. Sorry. I mean, even his name is just a glorious send-up to all of the things one would hope a romance writer could make you feel. Uh-huh. A little tingle, a little chuckle, a little Please. Can I just read his about the author? A little shivering. Dr. Chuck Tingle is an erotic author and Taekwondo mass grandmaster, almost a black belt, from Billings, Montana. (laughs) (laughs) After receiving his PhD at DeVry University for holistic massage, Chuck found himself fascinated by all things sensual, leading to his creation of The Tingler, a story so blissfully erotic that it cannot be experienced without eliciting a sharp tingle down the spine. Chuck's hobbies include backpacking, checkers, (laughs) and sport, (laughs) and about. (laughs) Okay. Wow. Again, I've never read any of this man's books, the but top, I really love him. The top review literally just says this book is well written, and that makes me angry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, there's not many. Uh... What? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, I, I was just going to say, unfortunately, not many of the the book titles can be read on this podcast. Yeah, that you. I are will. Gonna... I will say that. Yeah. I shared one in a Facebook right. Messenger group dedicated to all of us. Um, I dared not share that in the Google Hangouts. For yeah, reasons. I already read it. I'm already know. cackling internally. Like, <laughs> whatever about the, the the from Area 51 on is where I started like giggling and like, no, I need to read that. I. <laughs> 
Please review it on the next episode of this podcast. <laughs> I don't even know if I can add that to my good reads. Like there are certain things that I read that I can't add to my good reads for fear of like I don't I don't want people to look at me weird. I mean they already do, but you know, Chuck Tingle won a Hugo Award though. Oh, I, I just said the the one I love that. Wow. Don't live your life in fear of what others think of you, Andy. <laughs> but also, this is a great opportunity for me to raise yet another point um, that I think personally took me by surprise when I finally purposefully sought out a romance novel. I remember that day. There is incredible writing happening in the genres of romance that go completely missed because people write off romance before they ever give it a try for reasons that don't actually matter or make any sense. Uh, The incredible intelligence that it takes to write a very good, predictable storyline is so... um, underserved in the literary community that's the worst way to put that but yeah <laughs> you can't say it but i'm frantically not yeah aaron and i are it. both very much agreeing over here i think just trying not to interrupt so we don't mess up any of your uh very well articulated points here <clears throat> because yeah i very much agree like yes a lot of romance is very formulaic a lot of the same beats are in the stories they're very tropey for a reason but like just because the trope is familiar doesn't mean every execution of it is done at the same level you know though couldn't the uh, same be said for much of many sitcoms on tv absolutely i mean i'm not a good i'm not a good authority on uh, uh, television because i don't watch a great great deal but i feel like based on the comic series I've really gotten over or gotten into in the past 15, 20 years, like from Smallville to, you know, even Arrow, Flash, so on. Um, I feel like, I feel like I'm watching the same thing just for the, like a palette swap. Um, sometimes, I mean, it's very different cause I know the, co- the characters well, but I, I, I would imagine that most sitcoms are the same. Like, yes. And I would even writer's fault. Yeah. <laughs> and I would even go as far as to say that like Shit's Creek is not a sitcom. Okay, I would love to hear your rationale behind that. Because it doesn't do any of the things that sitcoms do. Its focus is not laughter, even though it is funny. Hmm. For example, it doesn't have a laugh track. You don't need a laugh track to be a sitcom. Uh, it, yes, you do. <laughs> then yeah. have you been watching any television made after 2010? I mean, okay, there is, there is a weird, like, branch that's happened, right? You're right, because The Office changed a lot of that. Um, so there is that, like, weird stem. And you'll notice that all of those shows have a similar flavor, feel, tone. But that's, again, that's a part of the sitcom, like, makeup. They don't change. If they remove the laugh track, it's because they're trying to emulate The Office or Parks and Rec or um, 
uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, like they all have that exact same feel and formula because they haven't figured out a way to do sitcoms without a laugh track that don't do that style, if that makes sense. I think I'm following you. And I do think it is sort of, as you're saying, there are almost two different styles of sitcom where like a lot of the sitcoms I can think of with a laugh track are more of like the family style sitcoms of the 70s, 80s, 90s, full house style, where like you're kind of, you know you're very much on a soundstage when you're watching it. And there are sort of the natural breaks in the dialogue for a laugh track to happen as opposed to the more workplace style sitcoms that you just pointed out with The Office, Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where like, it'd be weird. You're in someone's office, there should not be a laugh track going. That would almost throw you out of the moment. Right, and there's exceptions to this too, like Blackish, for example, doesn't do either of those things. It doesn't have a laugh track and it doesn't have um, that diary sort of formula that the others do but at the same time blackish is like Shit's creek in that it's telling you a story it's telling you a larger story um and that's more of its focus than drawing a punchline every two minutes and i wonder if that's why we can refer to more now as i feel like i just see comedy thrown around rather than sitcom yes yes exactly because the whole point of a sitcom is that it is a situational comedy. It, yeah. it, it, you know, yes. it requires that. Effort. Yeah. Again, yeah. not to go back to Full House, it's the only one, you know, the situation of, hi, I'm a newly widowed father with three kids. Let me have my brother-in-law, my best friend move into the house and we'll get into some shenanigans. Shenanigans. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh. And I still maintain after that meme you shared, Anthony, the Banks, the Connors, only way to go in those those six choices presented. Listen, only the Banks. I love love Roseanne as a show. Um, It's glorious. It it hits all the right beats. It's wonderful. But come on. (laughs) Who doesn't want to live with the Banks? I think I'd have more fun living with the banks. And I think uncle Phil would definitely, <laughs> I, I, it's a hard thing. Cause I love, I loved all those shows growing up, mm-hmm. but I got equally warm beats throughout both. Like I think those two literally are like, if I had to choose, which is the better series, I I personally couldn't because I love both of them so much. Like and, and I deplore <sighs> Roseanne Barr in recent years has really really not tickled my fancy. But if I go back to send how much how great they were, how great I felt watching both shows, I couldn't pick one as better than the other. I maybe a case could be argued that. Um, it, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air definitely hit a few more uh, philosophical beats, like many more. Oh, sure. But like if I had to choose which one I, I like line drawn in the sign, law, line drawn in the sand, I'm like, I, I don't know. That's but we, we, we are deviating a little bit. I, 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 yeah. I love it. I love where we, we're semi bookish. It's all good. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that going back to the tropes and whatever of books. I, 
some of the people where, where I was going with it, some of the people that would criticize a book for being formulaic or generic are, I, I know a lot of people that will argue about a movie being generic or something else being generic. But I'm like, you sit down and you watch the same show over and over and over again, or the same few shows over and over and over. Don't you get tired of that? So I, I, I no. feel like some people that criticize one, there's an extreme double standard in what they deem acceptable. And Yeah, and I mean, nobody get too precious. Everyone has a favorite trope or set of tropes or a couple of tropes or anything like yes. that. Nobody yeah. is of a trope. Yes. It's great to see sometimes when people can remix them and redo them and see what people can do with it. Yes. Not necessarily 100% success rate on that, but at least people are giving it a shot sometimes. But like, just because you don't like the common set of tropes present in thing A doesn't mean that there aren't tropes in the thing that you do like over on thing B. You just don't think they're the same thing. Yes. It's like writers of literary realism, because I refuse to call it literary fiction because that's a garbage term. <laughs> um, but writers of literary realism do this all the time with, with it, where they will denigrate any other genre for having a formula, except that every single one of them has been writing like Virginia Woolf. Pretty much. Wait, what? Sorry, I definitely didn't mean to cross talk over you there. I was no, just fine. making fun of literary realism because it's basically just like, I'm in an unsatisfactory marriage and I have a bad relationship with my parents. Well, I mean, yeah, there are there are like three particular strands of literary realism. There's like the social novel since the 19th century, um, which has gone through different permutations, but whatever. And then there's the Virginia Woolf people. <laughs> And every once in a while, you'll run into that weird postmodernist who just loves James Joyce and David Foster Wallace. <laughs> Which is great. Let me be clear. I love literary realism. I just don't like the superiority that comes with a great many of literary realist writers. They're like film composers, not film composers. They're like classical um, composers who think that, you know, classical music is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And it's like, have you ever actually tried to write a three minute pop song? You know how difficult that is? Like, come on, <laughs> get out of here with your 18 minute aria. Like, okay. No, I do think that just like, again, you can like literary realism or fantasy or sci-fi the best. But I do think that if you're willing to actually sit down and think about what you want out of a story, we can probably find a romance novel for you. Like I oh, was yeah. saying earlier when Andy posted like the, what's the one you're going to recommend to somebody? Like, no, I need like your full life history. Tell me what you like. <laughs> Tell me what you don't like in a story. Cause there are plenty of romance novels that like, if you know a certain trope is going to happen, I know that's not for me. Like, again, I give me some details, give me something to work with. And we can talk about, even if again, maybe romance is never going to be your favorite genre. But I think we can find one or two books that you can at least go, yeah, I enjoyed that. I read something a little outside of my comfort zone. And it, you know, and it's not as bad as everyone wants to play it out to be. In fact, it's good. 
Jen, can I ask a question? Oh, sorry. sorry. Leaders advisory at work. <laughs> Literally what we do. <laughs> What's your question, Anthony? Um, so in the case of a certain recent series blowing up, yes. it reminds me of like when Twilight blew up in a way. Those are both romance novels, romance series that do very, very, I don't know, maybe they don't do different things, but I can mean, you explain why? Um, yes, otherwise, I, yeah, Bridgerton and Twilight are, in fact, I would say, relatively different books. Okay, so, like, what makes those two particular romances something that, what do they have that makes them such a big deal in terms of their attraction on a global level? I think I'm thinking both about like the books and the uh, like series adaptations that they have had in film and TV as I'm trying to process my answer to this. I think it helps, especially in the case of Bridgerton, you can feel how much chemistry those actors have with each other. And I think that definitely plays a role in how massively popular a thing becomes. I would say, at least for me, for both Bridgerton and Twilight, the books in the series, it's also good. Like, I love the A relationships in both of those. Like, I enjoyed the Simon and Daphne relationship. We won't talk about that scene, Caps intended, because we don't <laughs> that. And I do love the Edward and Bella relationship. You guys can go back to the Twilight episode that we released for the very first episode of Semi-Bookish if you need to hear me go into that. <laughs> but it, again, I love both of those sort of A plotline relationships. But then in both Bridgerton and Twilight, I think the family and friend relationships are also so meaty and so fun to get into. Like there are eight Bridgerton siblings and their widowed mother. Like there is so much like fun family dynamic to work with in there. Like some of my favorite yeah. scenes in the show specifically were just all of them hanging out in the living room being a family. And with Twilight, like Bella's relationships with her parents have a lot to unpack. Bella's relationships with her human friends have a lot to unpack. Bella's relationships with the vampires have a lot to unpack. And I think it helps that again, a, ro a romance is always gonna kind of be driven by the A plot of the two people falling in love. But I think what turns any romance into a real juggernaut is how well the B plots and the other relationships are developed and handled. Yeah. Nice. Time for Smack. Again, season. Wait, really quick, really quick, really quick, before we launch into Smack, Jen. Yes. Blind Date with a Book. Is coming up, yes. All of you guys have been nearly useless to me in finishing Sorry, up the list. I've been busy. <laughs> I added a couple books. You did. And I added a couple more myself yesterday because nobody had touched the list in like a week. I'll probably add something The shade. I mean, like, what is it? Like, the, the people listening, what is Blind Date with a Book? Blind Date with a Book is when we pick out a few books that we like to recommend. We wrap them in paper so you cannot see the cover or any of the details. We do give you a brief description on the front, letting you know basic genre, basic plot line, if there is anything major that we think would be a massive turnoff, like basically trigger warnings. 
And then we write the barcode on it too. So that way we can just check it out, hand it to you. And oh boy, you get a surprise book to read. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't, but we hope that the way we describe it maybe helps you pick up something that you wouldn't normally have gone for either because it's not your genre or maybe the cover was a real turnoff to you. It's just a little way to break out of your comfort zone a little bit. It's a lot of fun for the clerks too. Cause like you come back with your book and then you come tell us like how you felt about it. And so we get this whole like book review from you and it's fantastic. Yes. Please do give us your reviews when you're done. Yeah. I think last year I managed to get Aaron to check out like five of them. Just by replacing I <laughs> Oh, do, do we have time for smack? Real quick. I have one right in my hand. Lay it down, Aaron. Quick. Harley Quinn, Catwoman, or Poison Ivy? Go. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Wait, what? Harley Quinn, Catwoman, or Poison Ivy? Go. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, Harley Quinn is marriage material y'all can fight me on it <laughs> I'll, join, uh, I'll join you on the soapbox for that Catwoman is snog material we all know that's why she was invented uh, <laughs> and everybody knows that poison ivy should be killed on site because she is psychotic aren't all of them well no double headed ish wait who what Catwoman is at least a little bit more level-headed than the others. Um, oh, absolutely. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, they're, they're the wild cards. Like, oof. I feel like Harley Quinn has the attachment factor, though. Yeah. 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 Oddly enough, though, in many iterations of the story, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy mellow each other out. Yeah, I almost feel like you can't do them. Oh, gee. Wait, you can't what? Like, I know only vague amounts of the storyline of these three women, but I almost feel like you can't and shouldn't separate Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. Are you saying we should just, like, poly it? Yes. I'll take it. I'll be down for that. Well, and you know that Harley Harley and... um, So, little backstory... Harley was invented for the Batman animated series in, all the way back in 91 yes. um, when they first aired. And they took us there originally with Harley and Poison Ivy. They were friends in that episode. However, Joker and Harley were also, quote unquote, friends. <laughs> uh, you know, she was supposed to be his sidekick, despite how often they passed interesting sexual innuendos back and forth on a children's cartoon. Anyway. <laughs> okay, you digress and we got to get back to work. Everyone place I your I got to run away. <laughs> Have we decided, did anybody need to say anything? Come on, man. I'm going to go with a kind of a tip from Aaron. I'm going to say we're going to poly up with Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Yeah! And then, as even though she's the most level-headed, sorry, cat. I mean, you can technically still snog her. Right, you're gonna kill Catwoman instead of snog her? Yeah. But do you really need to snog her, though, if you've got 
if you're married both to Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, you just really don't need guests. I mean, fair. Yeah.